The Mino Diaries, Episode 11, Red Bird, Part 10, The Water Dancer. Hello everybody, I hope y'all are doing well today. It is October 29th, 2022, it is a Saturday, and we are about to complete our spooky season upload of episodes for episode 11, Red Bird. I hope y'all have enjoyed the episode so far, and I really pray that y'all enjoy the episode dump for this week. And yeah, it's been a real experience um, creating this episode, and I'm excited to get into the next episode dump that's going to start next month in November. So yeah, enjoy. Um, if you haven't, you know, make sure you caught up with everything. Although, honestly, you really don't have to be absolutely caught up. Um, you can start any episode in any order. It really doesn't matter for real, for real. Um, so yeah. Know that this is going to be a big dump. It's like five sections for this go-round. And um, with this dump, we will also have uploads to YouTube, to the website, character designs, etc., etc. And also some other fun things. So stay tuned and enjoy the stories. Omina drew in a deep breath of preparation beneath the pale light of a full moon. They sat on the front porch of their grandmother's temple of ivory white and cerulean. They took a match and lit a stick of frankincense, the smell of which always brought them back to the mahogany hues and iron rhythms of their grandfather's house. They took another breath as they placed the incense in the holder and sat cross-legged as the autumn wind rustled the trees which grew all around the temple of House Malani, sanctuary of the water healers. Most of Omina's days were spent at the temple of Omoya with Tupelo, but on this night they'd voyaged to Bobancha and arrived at their grandmother's, a grand mino of an ancient degree, whose powers preceded even those of Yamaya over the waters. She was of serenity and stillness. Her home was the safe space, the healing center, the green garden for hummingbirds and dragonflies, where the sun and moon crossed the sky with watchful eyes. It was at this temple of Malani that Omina initiated a prayer of release. For many years, they'd known the intimate aid of their ancestors, the reliability of the dead to which they were, as of House Omoya, dutifully and inherently connected to. They'd spoken the names, chanted the titles, summoned forward presence through the veil, dedicated their crafts and senses of self to the services of those unseen relatives, for so long, Omina had held on to those who had passed on, kept them alive in the vast sea of their mind, and for a long time they'd known peace through the practice, but in the summer before that autumn, reality began to shift. They were weighted by their sorrows, vulnerable to the sensitivities of the nighttime, highly projective, agitated, mistrusting, depressed, they would sleep for 12 hours and wake in the morning still tired, so, so tired, that they might spend hours in total stillness with their eyes closed, comforted only by the singing of birds and the rustle of trees. They prayed to the Most High to see the answer to their own healing, a way out of the heaviness of that darkness, which assaulted them so insistently past the setting of the sun's protection. 
It had been on a recent night from the start of this narrative that they'd spoken to the ninth Kandake, Cleopatra. It had been many years in the human realm since Cleopatra had been reborn into this dimension and her form had changed to a satisfying degree with her age. She was thicker in her face, her arms and her legs, her voice deeper and surer than before. She was of Omoya, as Omina, but she lived at the mansion of Hekama, where they maintained a sanctuary for the practitioners of hoodoo, root work, and other intellectually spiritual arts. When Omina went to call on Cleopatra, they looked hardly different from their first meeting as they stepped as she spent much of I'm sorry. They looked hardly different from their first meeting as they spent so much of their time in the spirit and underworld where their whole spirited form was primed and accustomed to the time frequency there. Years passed for Cleopatra, were no more than a few months gone by for Omina in their worlds. They went to Cleopatra for conversation and insight, and Cleopatra relayed patiently with the wisdom she'd acquired. Your boundaries are weak, oh. Omina took the herb offered by Cleopatra and inhaled the smoke, breathing in before letting it trail out. The dead, among other things, are draining your spirit. Cleopatra said, and Omina explained, I am Omoya. I have a duty to them, a duty to serve our ancestors, our people, and this land, Omina said, believing that their power, their endurance, their existence was rooted in how useful they might be to everything else. Cleopatra took her herb and turned and inhaled deep, exhaling smoke before she tilted her head. Omoya indeed. Baptized by she who brings the thunder, bonded by Jata, her own child, as your sister. You are and will always be Omoya, Omina. Don't you understand? Your belonging to that house is not intrinsic to a duty served. Omina's brow furrowed, and Cleopatra went on to clarify. Oh, you have your duties, yes, as we all do, to the land and the spirits and the dead, but do you understand that your first duties are to yourself, to your own well-being? Cleopatra looked at the Okaliope, at once young and old. The drain was clear in their eyes, the bags beneath them, the dimness of their usually electric aura. The dead are full of complexities as the rest of us. They love us, surely, but they also crave light and life. And though we speak our prayers and commence our rituals, there may still be cracks in the foundations of our temples, where certain energies who share our bloodlines may seep through without the cleanest intentions or the most fluid executions of metaphysical action. They are, at the end of the day, reflections of all our own strengths and imperfections. Perhaps you've set boundaries with them, Omina. I'm sorry, perhaps you've set boundaries with them, Omina, but have you truly been keeping them? Have you remembered the necessity of boundaries maintained in the physical to match the spiritual? Have you upheld boundaries in yourself? They may love you, Omina, but they can still make mistakes. Even through the veil, they can still hurt you without meaning to, and in the same respect, you may be hurting them in turn. Have you considered that you call on the dead too much? The question rose Omina's eyes to Cleopatra's 
as the Kandake's words strummed a sudden revelation. Cleopatra's words were toward one thing, but Omina suddenly was flooded with awareness of all the connections across the board. Many issues of the spirit, which seemed separate, but were connected to a single root. They thanked Cleopatra for her counsel and walked across the Cypress lands back to the temple of Milani. Omina considered a heavy mistake, wondering if it had been by their own overuse that their ancestors had been bound to O's own universe. They called their ancestral names in prayer, in request, contemplation, manifestation, a ritual so integral to their routines. Omina looked to them for approval, for attention, for love, for guidance, for power, stability, for purpose, most deeply for purpose. When it was hard to find the will to survive, they could remind themselves of their responsibilities to the dead as their responsibilities to their own people of Bobancha. They'd risen themselves up by the idea that they mattered across the worlds for the healing of their hands, the enjoyment of their stories, the protection of their lightning, the glue of their intentional peacekeeping. Omina had convinced herself that they existed for the sake of preserving the memories of the dead and to stand as a conduit of their voices, their desires. It was all so much easier, in theory at least, to submit to that service to others rather than face the truth which was that O had not loved O enough to serve their self. They thought they'd understood love, devotion, gratitude, healing, kindness, peace. But it had all been in relation to what they could give to others. How they might secure their peace in existence by how well they served those they sought to be loved by. But it had all proven so unsustainable, too demanding. Once Omina ran out of water to give. They felt useless as an empty well. Omina's life force was so drained and further, so was the energy of their ancestors, spent past the point of what was appropriate. Omina had called on more than was meant and so every time they said the names, they would have to take from the princess of 10,000 moons to exist in a world no longer their own. It was in that moment though on their porch with the incense burning that Omina came to peace with a self-accountability. Whether they were drained of was not a fault. Whether they were drained was not the fault of the dead for taking. I'm sorry. Okay, hold up. I'm gonna reread. It was in that moment, though, on that porch with the incense burning, that Omina came to peace with a self-accountability. Whatever they were drained of was not the fault of the dead for taking and not the fault of the living for not pouring into them a replacement of the water drawn from the well of their soul. It was Omina's own responsibility to keep their own temple better than they'd understood how to before. Omina reflected on their ethics and how the last thing they wanted was to be a being which needed to take from others to survive a being whose endurance was rooted in guilt for selfishness. They thought of suicide and considered the pain of those left behind, but in the depths of personal darkness, guilt for the external's suffering is still not enough to hold the fleeting spirit down. Omina had to change their mind to find a more sustainable force of survival than fear, guilt, and judgments fed by all the what-ifs. 
They would not settle as a being whose power came from the subjugation of spirits and overindulgence of the blessings offered up in love. Omina knew the power passed down through the blood of their mother, who pulsed the ocean's tide and watched over the delta lands to sway with such a divine femininity and cool frequency of speech, calm and serene beauty, and ancient knowledge of the body and the mind that they might have anything in the world they desired if only they asked for it. The frequency of the scorpion healers was the intensity of the depths of the oceans, the bounty of darkness, which, when mastered, can be used to a profound goodness, but when wielded ignorantly, can fester as manipulation and toxic poison. Omina had decided they would not be irresponsible with this blessing of Jah Most High. They would not be careless with their access to privilege and praise, esteem and trust, resources and kindness. No, they could not better abuse what they loved so much. Love itself. They spoke to their ancestors with a bittersweet serenity. As soon as the root of infection was known, there was no hesitation to purge it, even at the high price. This was not about Omina. This was about the truth of responsibility and the test of letting something go so it may be free, healthy, and happy, even if the price of that was Omina's own private insecurity. They drew in a deeper breath before they called forward their guardians. They appeared, those Omina knew and those they did not, from recent and distant histories. There were chiefs, priestesses, warriors, healers, seers, prophets, builders, singers, dancers, growers, beings of power from across space and time who lived and died so Omina might manifest in this reality as a child of power. They were all of golden and blue light spectrum, as they gathered beneath the moon. They said nothing, only listened as Omina stood and touched their heart with respect. I proclaim my name, Omina Alomi Malani, Efan Morat I Nguali, Kesan Urat I Mbaili, Princess of 10,000 moons, Keeper of the East, Treasure of the Sea. I, firstly, Thank you for all you have given to me, for all you have shielded and delivered myself, my family, and my people from. I thank you for unconditional love, even before I knew how to recognize or wield it. I thank you for being patient with me as I have learned. It's come to my attention that I may have overused your aid, that I may have abused your presence through misunderstanding. On this night, with the portals between our worlds, then, I make my offering of release to the spirits, ancestors, guides, guardians, angels, and energies which have walked with me and the lives of my past. I speak to you that you may leave me. May you be bound neither to myself nor anyone else for all time to pass. May your cycles be coursed. May your debts be cleared. May your spirits be unbound. To those who wish to stay at my side and aid me, then I make space for you to do so, though I may not ask for what I cannot compensate with offerings in return. For those who wish to leave, you may do so guiltlessly. Omina said the words, knowing they were the right things to say, the remedy to their sleepy sickness, their inability to manifest, 
They had to make space, space for their own will, their own desires, their own powers. They watched with crystal tears streaming their eyes as the spirits of the past faded as embers and Omina was left alone. They took a deep breath at the release and stood to head back inside the temple. They went inside and looked through the temple's dark corridor. It was a great distance through the nighttime dark to their room. Omina felt a sensation which had not been felt by them since they were a smallest child. They were suddenly afraid of the dark. Omina, thrasher of water, caller of lightning, frightener of the frightening, was suddenly nervous, cautious of the dark. They knew they were alone. They took a deep breath and spoke into the space that they were enough, even if they were not yet sure how to be. That the force of the jaguar spirit inside of them was enough to beat down any demon foolish enough to step into the temple of Malani and spring upon them. They walked through the dark to their room, and with the budding security of their own independence, they slept peacefully in the dark. Time passed and Omina rested still in recovery rather than depression. They accepted and adapted to the quiet absence of the support of the dead through the cultivation of their own ability to support their self. They learned to be all they needed for power, love, reassurance, happiness, peace, belief, resources, wealth, confidence, and faith. Omina came to understand how enough they were. They found a growing peace in the simplicity of existence, finding pride in the fact of being and knowing that was a lot. That was everything. And if they were not of Omoya, if they were not the Okalayapi, if they were not of power, if they were not good, if people were or were not proud, if they were or were not liked, praised, adored, deified, then they would still be powerfully and absolutely Omina. If no one knew their name, they were Omina. If they existed as wind and water versus flesh and fabric, they were Omina. If they were a jaguar of the shadow or a chiefess of light, they were Omina. If they were a quaint and soft soul or a mighty big mino, they were Omina. Nothing to prove and nothing to lose when it was understood that all loss is simply the space making for what will be received. There was no reason to be afraid of the future, resentful of the past, neglectful of the present, no need to subject others to fears of their spirit, Omina settled blissfully into emotional, spiritual, and physical independence, realizing that for all they'd once called on spirits to aid, they possessed the power to execute tenfold because they were the one who could exist in the physical. They were the one who was blessed with a body to be present, a body to use, a body to cherish and love, whether it was beautiful or not. It did not matter because it was full of power. Mobility, stamina, fluidity, and grace. Omina no longer was subject to insecurities risen at the sight of their face and mirrors and pictures. No longer was time wasted on the triggers of a body, which was no longer commodified, subject no longer to uncapped objectification. Omina had decided their body existed for the sake of their own spirit. And if they wanted to share it, they would and could. And if they wanted to refuse its selling as the selling of their soul, they could and would. 
Romina enjoyed being able to say no and set boundaries guiltlessly, doing as they pleased and none of which they did not because they understood what was truly their responsibility and what wasn't. Romina would take on no burdens, no projections. They would not fester at rejections, unoffended by corrections, gracious in their lessons, lightweight by presence like a feather, but with strength solid as a mountain. From Omina was suddenly pouring as from a fountain, the water of a healer soul, a healer who understands that healing starts within and is not about changing others, but being able to adapt to surroundings, to fit inside boundaries, holes, crevices, over curves, filling voids, quenching thirst, at appropriate dosages, different for everyone. Love, Omina could understand it as never before, the love which is achieved by an independent spirit who expects nothing in return for its own niche's execution. Omina was filled with such a love for all things around them. They loved what brought them joy. They loved what brought them pain. They loved especially what brought them pain. Because it was by the pain that they'd been led to the glorious change. Omina was happy, not in a high and euphoric sense, not tense with a braced happiness, dreading the things which might disrupt it. They were at peace, deep in the core. They knew that whatever they lost physically would not break them. Whatever battles were to be fought would not break them. They were Omina, princess of 10,000 moons, mighty guardian of the delta, master of jaguar medicine, wielder of the pearl fan, Pareli, godmother of the waters. They were, before they were subject to any lost, they just were who they were. And that was the greatest wealth, the highest richness, their biggest achievement. Their worth was not determined by any singular accomplishment, by no fantasy met, by no amount of external love or praise, by no amount of money gained, by no rise to fame. Omina's worth was in the quicksilver of a fluid spirit. It was the knowledge of a fluid mind, their capacity for kindness, their aversion to spiritual blindness. They found their self more beautiful than ever before, not by their face or body or their hair, but by the black ferocity of their eyes. So sure now, so dense. So protected, so calm, so chill, relaxed, communicative. Omina had learned to speak. They could communicate without the burden of fear of rejection. They could speak their truth and live with any consequence. Backed into no corner without a mighty fight, supreme of their heart and their soul, never to be taken or shaken. They loved their self. For the first time, Omina truly loved their self having chosen and defended, persisted and resisted to stand as a being free and sovereign. Omina opened their eyes to the light of the morning and the singing of birds outside. They stayed in bed for a while with their eyes closed, embracing the sounds, the visions of dawn and the positive whelming in their chest. They become different at the growth of their heart to hold space for love, which was unconditional, firstly for their self and then for others. Omina's new joy was that of being surrounded by such love that at times they struggled to understand and in many ways still did not, but they could respect those mysteries now and trust their own abilities to remain whole, true, and at peace in the submission of control to the Most High. 
Omina said their prayers and firstly thanked God for what was had and asked for aid in cultivating those things before asking for anything new to carry. Such was the nature of their heart lately, unburdened by many desires, expectations, or predictions they were restful in their minimalism. They rose from bed and coursed through their morning routine, brushing their teeth, washing their face, brushing, moisturizing, and braiding their hair before they dressed and adorned their mantles. They ate a light breakfast of avocado on toast, a boiled egg, dried fruit, and oatmeal before going to their altar. They lit incense and closed their eyes and thanks to the sound of songbirds out the window went I'm sorry, to the sound of bird songs out the open windows. They kissed their fingers and placed them on the pictures of their loved ones before they reached for their pearl fan Parali, sitting on the stand atop the altar along with their changing spear dagger. They went out catching the bus to a small dance studio with hardwood floors and wide mirrors on the walls. Omina lit incense in the corner and removed their shoes for a soft mobility across the floor. They turned on the studio speakers and waited. One by one, their students were arriving, grown folks who'd come prepared with their own small fans in reflection of Omina's trusted Pyrelee. Omina welcomed them into the space, thanking them for coming, before turning on the soft and sensual music they loved for this ritual. They explained the nature of their practices, the steady evocation of water across spectrums, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Their way was the speed and fluidity of the river, the soothe of the spring, the bounty of the Oquata, the calm of the bayou, the nourishment of the rain, and the might of the ocean. They explained that water dancing was as much a martial art as it was a healing art, a loving art, a worshipping art, a meditation, a storytelling, a weaving, an application of the same movements with different intentions for force and sensuality. The wrist flicked the fan in union with the arch of the foot, heel off the ground, so always planted as the right leg led motion before the body leaned and the shoulder drove its momentum. The body begins to move, left, right, forward, backward, curving and twisting. The foot plants and kinetic energy courses up the leg, through the knee, knocking to the side before the hip is thrown in steady pulses. The feet plant flat on the ground as the hips are thrown into orbit, clockwise, clockwise, counterclockwise. The fan spins in the right hand and the left twirls, wielding the water currents of the mind's sight. Omina water danced as a homage to the ancients, as appreciation for the body gifted to them in memory of the daughters of the water who sang and prayed in the shallows of motherland seas with respect to the sacral, sac with respect to the sacred sacral and the persistent beat, the repeat of spiritual incarnations from mother to daughter, sister to sister, godmother to godchild. Water dancing was the balancer of femininity knocked off its pivot, the cleanser of the polluted river, the body's deliverance. Water dancing was forgiveness and fortification, defense and manifestation, acceptance and release, purging out the demonic and receiving high frequency. It was through the sanctity of these moments that Omina had learned the beauty of their body, not for its seductive sensuality or aptitude for commodification, but for its mighty power to execute such movement, such force. With the softness of curves and turns and twirls, this dance was of subtlety and reservation, submission and veneration to a higher power, a divine shower of assurance from the Most High. 
This dance was one developed in the quiet and peace of the temple of Milani to heal the wounds festered by Omina's bruised ego. It had nearly destroyed them. The toxic need for external validation and support. The need for love to manifest in the ways they'd understood it. But when they danced now, they danced for joy. That they had all the things which had once triggered and pained them. All which had made them sad, confused, hurt. How they'd abused their own heart by the indulgence of the pain of suffering of depending on frivolous and unsustainable things. But now, their soul was different. Longer, wider, faster, lighter. They could look at all which had weighted them down and know. They were strong enough to hold it all. Strong enough to receive, process, and release it. They danced for the river and the sea. For the birds and the bees. For the sun and the trees. They believed with every moment and movement that they had more than enough. That love was a lovely thing for its own sake. And they forgave themselves for every mistake. Forgave others for misunderstandings. They could love others to the highest degree by their ability to flow so independently and free. They could deliver their own rain to their own soil, harvest their own crops and make their own meals, sew their own clothes and do their own hair, walk their own way, free to leave or stay free. Free as wind that sends seeds across continents, across oceans, free as the stars in space, free to do and feel and believe and achieve all things. The water dancing coursed through with low movements followed by risen arches and precise dips from this fountain of personal intimacy, Omina sipped the joy of oneness with their own soul. They'd chosen their form before believing that it needed to be what was projected onto them. They'd established their own currency of worth, their own means of survival. They, want, they waited on no one's permission and would consent to no submission. So fierce was the heart. And yet still, so soft, so open, so sensual as their hands, which could pulse healing electricity and the cleansing of water across a body. Soothing was the voice, mastered and trained, to reserve itself in the sanctuary of the throat. So thought might always lead, no need to speak prematurely when so securely did Omina's peace stand firm in the silence. Water dancing was the gift to be shared on that early morning, and when the session was complete, the students thanked Omina and left with their own perceptions of that sharing. Omina journeyed after to the river, where they threw in a silver starfish and thanks, before they entered the water to return in stability to the temple of Omoya.